The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Attention BetMGM customers. Have a friend who loves sports as much as you do? Here's a chance for both of you to earn a $50 bonus when they sign up through BetMGM's Refer a Friend program. Just sign into your BetMGM account and click on the Refer a Friend program to send your friend a message inviting them to register a new account in the same state you use BetMGM in. Once your friend signs up and makes a deposit, they'll receive a $50 bonus. And once your friend places a bet with their bonus and the wager is settled, you'll receive a $50 bonus as well. Share the excitement and get a $50 bonus every time you refer a friend to BetMGM. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 years of age or older to wager. Ohio only. New and existing customer offer. All promotions are subject to qualification and eligibility requirements. Rewards issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets. Bonus bets expire in 30 days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. Introducing the Lowe's List for Innovation. While our aisles are filled with innovative products, we've selected our favorites just for you. Like the exclusive Whirlpool washer with industry-first two-in-one removable agitator. We love this washer because you can customize any load. And with other smart features to streamline your laundry routine, this product is a must-have for families. Shop the full Lowe's list of top picks at Lowe's.com. Lowe's, home to any budget, home to any possibility. U.S. only. Hi folks, welcome to another episode of Film Study. This is Ken McCusick, here to talk about the AFC North rival Cleveland Browns today and their revamped roster. A lot of talent added to this, both through free agency and the draft. And joining us today to talk about that is Jake Burns. Uh, Jake, how you doing? Hey, I'm great. I'm great. Thank you for having me on, Ken. I'm excited to talk about this. Always a pleasure to have you on Orange and Brown Report, correct? Yes, sir. Yeah, we are part of the uh, CBS 247 group there. We're, we're floating off on our own. They don't do NFL coverage anymore, but they host us. So, so yeah, we're right around that realm. 
So one of the interesting things about trying to get people for this show is the Browns have an unbelievably deep and talented group of fans who follow the team. And compare that to the Bengals, it's very hard to actually get people who are extremely knowledgeable. But there are a few. There are a handful that are very good, and I don't want to put them down. But but uh, it's very easy to get good Browns uh, good Browns talent on here. We really appreciate that about the fan base there. It is. It's a it's a committed group, and they got a lot of people that that do different realms who are very talented. And I will agree, it is tougher on the Bengals side for some odd reason because Ohio loves football all around, but the Bengals do a little bit challenging. But yeah, thanks for having me on. Uh, particularly, I appreciate that. All right, okay, well, let's jump right into it because the the Browns roster obviously uh, it's getting there in terms of age. It's a mature roster at this point with a lot of their talent, including the the, the class with Baker Mayfield uh, coming due now. But let's talk, kind of go through who there is there. Uh, I think you you have to start with the quarterback, of course, Baker Mayfield in his fourth season coming up. They've already signed him for his fifth year option, correct? Correct. Yes. And so he's in the same boat as Lamar Jackson, effectively in terms of his standing. But what would be a win coming out of Baker Mayfield this year? I think a win coming out of Baker Mayfield would be continuing a lot of what we saw halfway on through the year. I think there was a there was some sort of click about week seven Cincinnati game where I don't know. This is a huge topic on this side of the AFC North where Odell gets a knee injury. And from about the second quarter on, Baker takes off four touchdowns, 350, helps him win the game in the last minute. And from that moment through the end of the season... Uh, by whatever metric you want to believe, became a top 10 quarterback, a genuine top 10 quarterback. And some of the metrics the last half of the year were like top three. Like if you, I really believe in pro football focuses, data analysis of quarterback play, because it's not results driven, it's process driven. And he, he played very well, but there's the issue of consistency, which you saw how poorly he played in Baltimore week one. And that kind of carried through the first six weeks or so. And what you know, the biggest win in this side of the things for Cleveland is Baker consistently performs well. And he puts together 16 games of great play and shows that he can be not just a quarterback you win with, but a quarterback like Lamar, who you win because of. That is the biggest thing they need him to do. Not rely on the run game all the time. There are going to be games where the Browns can run the football in teams because not all NFL defenses are created equal. But they're going to need him to carry them in big moments we saw glimpses of it last year they need to see it on a bigger scale this year for sure so that is the biggest win oh baker led them to six or seven of those 10 11 wins we think the browns can get to he's the reason for a majority of them that is what we need to see we think he's you know we think he's good but can't he be great that's the level that people are trying to see baker get to all right, fair enough. We're going to have a show coming up on this fairly soon, by the way. But uh, PFF's analysis of quarterbacks, I think, has left a little on the table with Lamar Jackson, would be my argument. And they mm-hmm. kind of are open about it. They know that they can't really sh- grade the impact he has on all of the other 10 offensive players. But there's no reason why these other 10 offensive players should be the greatest running game of all time uh, You know that we seem to be watching now week to week. No, no, there's 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 no doubt. It's like the thing that's interesting is how, you know, we're tied together, Ken, not just because of the division, but because of these quarterbacks in the same class. Mm -hmm. And you talked about Lamar getting his fifth year option picked up the same with the fifth year for Josh Allen. His gets picked up. So there's this who's going to who's going to fire first, who's going to sign their guy first. 
and I know a lot of it is uh, sort of seeing who sets the market and then go from there because there's no doubt Baker has not been as good as Josh was last year or Lamar has been the last two years so there needs to be some balancing act there but it's like these three guys in the AFC are going to be tied together for the foreseeable future and I'm a huge Lamar believer I I hate playing against that guy I love when he has to go to the bathroom mid-game but (laughs) hate playing against him Uh, so yeah I mean the barometer the, the, the challenge of who's playing the best of those two and I'm sure Baker would tell you the same thing if you got him in a room and Lamar would say the same they're always peaking who's who's what did Lamar do this week what did Josh do this week they're doing that so they're they're trying to compare and and um you know so this that's just a fun thing to follow all around and and I think Browns fans are ultimately excited about where Baker is so so finally some continuity in the coaching staff the offensive structure is finally the same one year to the next so rare in Cleveland so there are huge expectations for Baker this year all right. Well, fair enough. Uh, let's let's move on to the running back position, and and obviously some stacking there as well for the Browns with some good players. Not too much twenty-one personnel from the Browns, right? Not no, not well. They started the they have a young man at fullback named Andy Janovich who came over from Denver. He was a great running back, hybrid running back, fullback in Nebraska. It was at Denver, and, and they had a guy named Rich Scangrella who was a, a Shanahan offense disciple. Used him in Denver. They got rid of Scangrella, so he was on the market. They got him for a seventh round pick. They use the fullback sometimes, not a huge part of the offense, but some. They kind of uh, sort of got away from it the last half of the year, but uh, they they did a little bit. And then they don't use two running backs often. They don't do split back gun stuff they don't do they did a little Pony, te- you're talking about yeah oh yeah they did a little tease of it with freddie kitchens at the end of 19 when kareem hunt came off of his suspension but it's never been a staple of what stefanski i think they only had three snaps together on the field at the same time last year at all oh, that's not much no it's it's really rare they try to work those two in and out in and out in and out and keep legs fresh and and uh, do their best with that so but you know two top 10 running backs in cleveland without a doubt well, they, they certainly uh, rely on those guys very heavily. The Ravens now, for the first year in a while, are going to two backs instead of having a committee of three. Mm-hmm. Ravens have been very good about stylistically fitting in new running backs, but but the Browns very much lean on a couple of guys. Uh, it's, it's certainly worked last year. Uh, I, I guess I would have the question, I, with this offensive line, I would think that, that you guys I will talk about in a minute, I would think it'd be fairly easy to make stylistic matches, come up with stylistic matches. Yeah, I mean, Nick is the ideal wide zone inside zone running back because he sees the game beats ahead you know he just has the ability to press a gap make a guy commit and make a cut and it's just it's unique I think he's one of the best in the entire and I I don't say that as a homer I say that as I I watch Dalvin I watch Christian McCaffrey I watch the best of him and I think he is a he is a unique player at the position very very good for that scheme Kareem Hunt's less patient more bursty right now give me the ball I'm getting where I need to get that became a useful byproduct of more gap scheme stuff they did later in the year. They got away from wide zone as frequently because teams just start playing. You know, Baltimore has a unique defensive front, odd front. Steelers have an odd front they like to use. And it's a challenge to to, to achieve perimeter run game. But when you have two guards, and we're going to talk about the offensive line, you have two guards who can pull and get out in field and, and space. They wanted to use those guys. And Kareem became particularly useful in that structure. So they found a home for Kareem from a gun 
uh, gap scheme run standpoint, and it worked really well. So there's a balance that they struck between those two, fitting them into scheme. I mean, Kareem can run wide zone, Nick can run gap, but you can just tell that they're more comfortable with the other stuff. So that's when they started to hit their stride as, I think, a full-on running cohesive group in 2020. All right. Obviously a dangerous group indeed. Let's move on to that offensive line because it's a great group. That's that's for sure. They were they were at the peak of, I believe, New Brown's history last year in, in terms of how good they were. And I looked at that first game uh, in Baltimore that the Ravens won 38 to 6. And in scoring the offensive line play from that game, my first response was the Browns beat the crap out of the Ravens offensive line in a game they lost by 32. You already mentioned it really was a case that time of Mayfield kind of shitting the bed. Yeah. But, but tell me talk a little bit about the Browns offensive line you go from left to right yeah, they, they have young Jedrick Wills, uh, who was who the 10th pick in the draft, who I thought was pretty solid. A really, really effective pass protector in 2020 as a rookie, which is what you want to see in a pass-heavy uh, NFL. And, and the Browns became a little pass-heavy at the last portion of the year. Didn't perform in the run game as well. I think it's so tough for young guys in zone-moving schemes to get to your target and understand where guys are going. He didn't do a ton of that stuff at Alabama, so not as effective run game as I'd like him to be. But I think he will is he gets more reps and he knows where second level defenders are going to, to get downfield uh, or in, I should say upfield I think some of that stuff will change I just thought some of his target anticipation stuff wasn't great it'll get better in my opinion it's something that happens with more reps in that system um, left guard is Joel Batonio he's been here since the Browns had a great line in 2014 with Alex Mack and Joe Thomas and Mitchell Schwartz that's one thing Cleveland's been good at in the last decade they got they figure out offensive line uh, over stretches of time so Joel's been a stalwart he's a, he's a He's a fantastic pass blocker. He was the fourth-ranked pro football-focused ranked guard coming into this year again. Uh, I think he only gave up one sack last year. He's still effective getting out in space. They'll use him in play action. They'll use him in uh, counter schemes, gap sch- power schemes, G lead schemes. They'll use him everywhere. He's still good. He's getting there, but still good. Now, at left guard, the, the, the Browns have a primarily a right-handed run scheme as well. As the Ravens, the Ravens are definitely predominantly yeah. right-handed. They, they do, they favor it, but they really struck a balance. By the end of the year, they struck a balance because they're so their two guards are so good that they feel comfortable running it in either direction. That's to the point. They, but they do have a little bit more right side lean as any right side brain coach would would uh, would work it on, uh, sort of naturally there. So who's, who's got the better uh, length and pivot control of the two guards? I mean, they're, they're comfortable with either pulling, but oftentimes it's it's the guy who's opening the front gate that they mm-hmm. rely on that side. It's tough to answer that because I think they're both really good. Wyatt Teller, the kid they traded for, a seventh-round pick to Buffalo. Yeah, yeah, a really great first-year starting. That guy getting out in space is deadly. He is so athletic. I think they trust Joel to to pivot more, to be honest with you. Uh, But but they both can do it. I mean, they're both top ten players at the position now, according to those people who grade up front. I, I wish I had a better answer for you there. I just think that they 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 are truly like they're truly balanced. They don't mind either of those guys pulling. I think they like Wyatt because he's younger and more athletic, uh, and Joel is a bit more of a. I think he anchors a little bit better because Wyatt is not as effective. The right guard is not as effective uh, as a pass protector. I think he gave up three sacks last year. He dealt with a little bit of an injury issue in the middle of the year. So obviously Wyatt's pretty good, Pro Bowl level player in my opinion. Uh, the Browns got to find a way to keep him around soon. Uh, J.C. Treaders, the NFLPA president, is just 
just a solid guy. How, like, how the hell has he been in the league for nine years? It seems it like does, yesterday the guy was drafted. It doesn't I, make I, sense. I, I saw that he was the NFL uh, NFLPA president at this point. That's uh, that's always an impressive thing. And I can't think of a better position that I'd wanted at than us and then your center who's making yeah, the line it, calls and doing that. A hundred percent. And that was the great part of this year, Ken. I'm sure as you can attest, because you watch film like I do, was like I watch the game, I watch the All 22, then I go back like Wednesday and plug my headphones in to crank up the volume. And this past year, you could hear everything. You could hear all the line calls being made because there's no one in the stands. It was really cool, unique. And uh, I just listened to JC control so much up front. Like Baker has a huge benefit in JC who controls so many line calls up front. Just a, a solid player. Not great. Uh, not, not, not the best in the league at the position, but a solid player. Did, did the Browns do anything with distributing line call responsibilities? By do you see any of the guard patting the patting Treader on the butt with some other element of timing? Uh, well, uh, for snap timing, sure. Yeah, they would. They would definitely have a guard turn to tap. But uh, I don't know that there was necessarily any any calls being made by somebody other than JC in terms of any adjustments pre-snap. He handled. He handled all of it, and like to the point that like he was. If you watch, go back and watch a Browns game from the TV view because the all twenty two cuts it off, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. But the TV view, he's standing up and looking around, the same as his quarterback, almost the entire time until they're ready to go. He's down. He doesn't even look back. They give him a tap. You know, Joel turns back, looks the quarterback, gives him a tap, and they're going when they're from the gun. So he's handling all of it. Now I don't know if he doesn't get some tweaks from the guards, but but for the most part, he's handling everything. And like you know, Baker's doing some things. He's making some calls, but if you listen, it's Baker. JC's making a quick adjustment off of whatever Baker says. Right. This is a very interesting point. And one of the obviously the Ravens had tons of problems with snaps last year at center. All, this ball was going over Jackson's head all the time. In fact, you could argue that it really led or helped lead to the playoff loss. The game they were already behind in the game. But but the thing I've hypothesized is that by getting a new center in there as in Bozeman, they don't necessarily have to give him the line calls because they've got Kevin Zeitler that they mm-hmm. can have doing that. And he can also probably handle the cadence as well. I would don't think it would be a problem to handle both. And, and just let Bradley focus on those snaps and getting it right down after down after down rather than loading the center with that responsibility. Do you, do you think that's a, a practical application of that or is or, or am I dreaming to think that that that's what'll fix it for the Ravens I think it can be. I mean, we had Kevin Zeitler in Cleveland for uh, a couple years, and we loved him. I mean, I really liked him. It was a big topic of discussion when he was a part of the move for Olivier Vernon. He was kind of packaged into the Odell deal there with Jabril Peppers and all of it. But, yeah, we love Kevin Zeitler. Very smart guy. Very, very cerebral player at the position. If, if you wanted to have him handle that mental burden so that your center specifically focuses on snaps, I, it could easily be something that he handles. So uh, I don't think you're in dream world there at all. Kevin's a very smart guy. Like J.C. and Joel talked so highly of him when I would ask him questions questions about him and uh and very smart guy when you get him to, to interview too so and and <laughs> the funny thing is, is he was hugely connected to brown's twitter like his wife was very active on twitter and just a really nice guy too so we pulled for him now it's it's kind of stinks because we love him now he's got to go to baltimore from from a like uh, on-field hatred thing but now nah, he's a he's a good he's a good person like genuinely a good person and and uh we're, we're we always pull for him I have run into that a lot as well, but I wondered if you'd if you'd run into wives and parents mm-hmm. of of players on Twitter who are always liking your comments or whatever. When you have something nice to say about a player, but it seems to happen a fair amount. Uh, yeah, Joe Schobert's wife was very active on Twitter before she, you know, they went down to Jacksonville. He got signed down there, and actually, ironically enough, Wyatt Teller's. Um, a girlfriend or now wife. They just got married. They're very active too. But I'll talk real quick. The Browns' right tackle is Jack Conklin. He was uh, he was a uh, 
all pro voted on again. I think Jack's a, a very, very good right tackle. I don't know that he is all pro level. I found that to be like, a, oh, really? They gave, they gave him an all pro, which is cool. Like, I think he's good. I'm just not sure he's elite, elite of the right tackles in the NFL. But that's not for me to decide. I just think he's, he's very good. He fits his own scheme very well. The Browns like him. He's just a quiet workhorse, man. He just he shows up with his lunch pail, the old, all the old cliches you can think of, and does a great job. And the Browns feel really good about their, their right and left tackles protecting Baker, and Baker started to feel really comfortable with him too. So I think Jack is a nice player to complement what is a pretty good offensive line. Does, does Conklin give you the ability to move to left tackle? Did he play some at Tennessee there? He did not play at Tennessee there, but he did at Michigan State. So it's in his background um, for sure. But he could. He talked about because that was a big topic of discussion, Ken, was – you know, they drafted Jed Wills, who is a, a right tackle at Alabama. Mm-hmm. They signed Jack Conklin, who specifically played right tackle in Tennessee because Taylor Luan played the left side. It was like, OK, do they switch Jack back to left? Because that's where his background was at Michigan State. But they decided to just commit to Jed on the left side. And and uh, that's that's what they went to roll with. But, yeah, there is some versatility from both of them. If they need to, they brought in James Hudson. I'm sure we'll talk rookies. They brought in James Hudson, who's a left side guy out of Cincinnati. So uh, if they if they need to, they could always all move those guys if Injuries occurred. Let's, let's let's dip down a little of the depth because I'm really interested in that. Hudson is a guy. When I looked at, at draft prospects at tackle, I said this guy's ending up at guard. Mm-hmm. Well, they think he could. They think he could. They, he's got the thing about him that you like is. He's got just enough length. I think they view him as somebody like Chris Hubbard, who is still in the roster, recovering from a knee injury. He's a Pittsburgh uh, player for a long time, came over to Cleveland, has swing tackle ability, could play both of them. He had to last year during little spurts, uh, but he could also play guard. Like Chris Hubbard played right guard for stretches last year before he was uh, he was lost for the year. The Browns had this between COVID and some weird injuries shuffling along the offensive line. So uh, they view James Hudson as a guy who has left tackle experience at Cincinnati, started to play kind of fairly well at right tackle in the senior bowl but they think long term could potentially be a Joel Batonio left guard replacement down the line so they're just going to let it play out they have Bill Callahan the offensive line coach that they love one of the best in the league to ever do it who they really think it can be a moldable player for them so they're excited about him overall the Browns certainly starting with strength on the offensive line. Let's let's move on to tight end here. Uh, obviously, Austin Hooper still around after uh, you know having a fine career really with Atlanta, and just came to the Browns last year, right? Or was it two years ago? Um, he no, he just came last year. It's, it seems like Austin's always been around longer than he has, but yeah, just <laughs> last year. Um, yeah, I'll talk about Austin. They like they like him. He he was a little disappointing last year from a production standpoint, but it was not a high volume passing system as it's as it is. So I don't know that they're ever going to get huge numbers from him at that position. So he's. Um, He's fine. He doesn't run away from people, but he's where he's supposed to be, when he's supposed to be there. I think he has... Uh, he had a drop issue last year, which I think will level out. When you play with Mayfield, I think one thing you notice is that he is not always the most finesse when he needs to be finesse and will put the ball at an extremely hard level coming off of mm-hmm. breaks before people get used to playing with him. They don't know. I'm sure if you ask Mark Andrews this question, he'd say, yeah, that's for sure, Baker. And when it's off the break, the ball is there. So you have to be prepared for that. Some quarterbacks kind of have a knack for understanding that thing and playing the finesse game a little more. Baker's trying to get there, but he is just a – He's a rip-it guy. He's always been a rip-it guy. And I think that caused Mark Andrews a little bit of problems uh, at the beginning portions of the year where the numbers with the drops started to happen. So that I think Austin bounces back, though, has a nice year. 
we, we have a term for it in Baltimore because Flacco, you know, obviously threw, threw a fastball all the time, but, <laughs> but remorseless velocity is, <laughs> is the term. But he goes, yes. with, uh, with Hooper, I noticed he dropped to 6.2 yards per target this last year. So it wasn't just a case of opportunity. It's really how he converted those. Catch rate was down some. Uh, so you mentioned the drops, but the, but the yards per target down significantly from his career average of 8.1 in Atlanta. Yeah, it's it was a noticeable it was a noticeable drop. There's no doubt about that. But the offense his rookie year he played in a Shanahan scheme when they went to the Super Bowl, I think twenty sixteen, I think, seventeen, seventeen maybe. Uh and that's his only exposure to it. And I just don't I don't think he's ever going to have the athletic ability to run away from people. And I think that he will just have to be a right time, right place, schematically open guy. They they signed Austin because they needed a professional at the position, a guy who they could trust to do the right thing, be in the right places, make the right blocks, and he's done that in his first year. Now if he doesn't have a really nice second year, his contract gets a little pricey for year three, so there mm-hmm. could be a hard decision to come. But he's ultimately fine. He's a fine, He's an above average to good tight end in the NFL, and that's what they needed when they entered last season. So one of the things we have as a discussion point of Ravens fans is whether or not a player is a good play-action tight end. And a good play, the right place, right time is exactly what you're talking about, I think, with play-action. And, and the Browns, with their dominant run game, dominant offensive line, they're going to get running backs biting a lot on play action, even play action out of the shotgun a lot of the time. Drop issues, obviously, are significant for a tight end in that situation. But it seems like if you have a guy that, you know, a a fairly good tight end, he should really excel within the Brown system. Yeah, I think so. I think I he should, I think is the point. He it's I should note too, in the middle of last year he had a I think he had an appendix burst that he had to have surgically removed. So he missed three games in the middle of the year, I think. Something two or three, there was a bye week was in there too, I think, to help yeah. with the recovery. But he went through a little bout of that. Um I, I just the most athletic tight end on the roster is David Najoku. David de- has dealt now with a couple years of injury issues, but when he has been on the field, he's clearly the best separator, the best go-get-it type of player they have at the position. So there was some push of like Harrison Bryant, another kid that they brought in last year from Florida Atlantic, was a Mackey Award winner uh, his, his final year in college. I think they like him. So they do split those things up a little bit. So... I, I just don't know that we're ever going to see with how many tight ends Stefanski likes to play and how he likes to get different guys open in different scenarios. I'm not sure you're going to see an 800-yard tight end in this offense. I just think it's going to be like a guy at 500, a guy at 300 kind of thing, the same way it was with Kyle Rudolph and uh, Irv Smith when, when Stefanski was the 2019 OC in Minnesota, a couple really nice players. They're just not going to see a ton of, of attempts thrown their way. They'll get schemed open uh, opportunities, but it's not going to be a 12 12 target game for Austin Hooper type of deal I just don't think they're ever going to be that way uh just just the nature of how they want to use the field right now could things change if they if they unlock the deep portion of the field perhaps but I don't think we're going to see Austin Hooper threaten his Atlanta numbers Okay, Odell Beckham, a little bit of a uh, disappointment last year, played in only seven ball games, only targeted 43 times the whole year. Maybe I'll ask the same question to do about Mayfield. What's a win for Odell this year? Health, I mean, he's coming. That's a lame answer, but he's coming off a week seven ACL tear. And that's, it, I, I think that Odell is, 
correct me, there's a weird saying, and you can call me crazy, but he's a violent cutter. Like, how he uses his agility is how he wins in the NFL. He doesn't jump over people. He can do it, but he doesn't jump over people, and he doesn't really, you know, maul people for contested catches. Like, he's a separator by nature, and what he does to get separation is put a ton of stress on his knees and ankles. Like, that's just how violent cutting goes. Now, I've seen him run in a straight line in his recovery. He's looked okay. He's, I mean, looked more than okay. He's an NFL freak of nature athlete, but like he's looked good. I need to see him cut. If he can come back by week three, four, five and build a route tree. And by the end of the year, have, have 12 healthy games, maybe six, seven, 800 yards and catch a couple touchdowns. Like that to me is a success. I think Browns fans are of the thought that like Odell's going to be back week one. He's going to be ready to go. And I'm like, Okay, I just don't I don't know that that's going to be a fact. There's a lot that goes in. The data, Ken, is not good with 28, 29-year-olds who tear ACLs at wide receiver. Mm-hmm. It's never been good. People kind of ignore that issue. He could overcome it because he's a unique athlete, but I don't want to sit here and say I'm expecting that. So, like, a success for me would be like a 50-catch, 800, 900-yard season with some game-breaking plays late in the year when he gets back to feeling like himself. So that's what you hope for, and you hope he can develop a little bit of chemistry with Baker along the way. Okay. That's that's a really interesting point you make about violent cutting because the drafting of Rashad Bateman for the Ravens is a similar type of guy who makes his living at the top of the route. route. Mm -hmm. Really is cutting in six different directions, seven different directions, whatever it might be from there, including stop and go kind of moves. And that that's very interesting to hear you say that about Odell and and discouraging, I think, a little bit in terms of what the injury future might look for him. It is. I, I try to be positive because people just don't love any negative. I try to lay this out in a way that is like realistic. I think Odell is a unique, unique athlete. We've seen it for a while. So if there's a guy who can overcome this, he could be the one. But I just keep telling people temper expectations. It's not like the Browns lost Grant Delpit, their rookie safety out of LSU, and to an Achilles tear, but it happened in training camp. That's so much different than two months later in week seven. So it's just how how does the timing of all of it work out? So it's just it's a tough year for Odell because there's a lot on the line, a lot of money to be paid to him, and a lot of money to the wide receiver position in general. So it's like it's just an important time to like how does it all mesh with Baker and all of that stuff? There's a lot going on there. The win, the, the original part of your question, Ken, which is like the win is some cohesion with Baker by the end of the year and some of those game-breaking plays we expected when they brought him in from New York. Well, fair enough. Uh, you know, looking at his yards per target and, and where he is now at 28, I'd be a little bit that, – that's, that's the key stat for me, for any receiver, frankly. Mm-hmm. And he, he's really had a fairly ski-slopey – descent of production over the course of his career from 10 down to 7.4 yards per target if you look at the at, at that column it's a little scary and especially scary coming off an injury uh the way he is but you know just as an athlete i hope he recovers and he's not he's he's not hurt and uh done for his career but uh, uh i i i'd be frightened by that and i'm more frightened that bateman being a similar type of receiver that we we may see some of that as well well we loved bateman and the pre-draft process we 
study this stuff at the OBR like crazy. We do mock drafts every day. And I'm, he was a hugely discussed player. Like when the Browns got up at 26 and Greg Newsom and JOK and Bateman were on the board, if they would have taken Bateman, we would have been tickled. Like we really liked him. So it is a similar guy. He spent time with Odell in the, in the preparation for the draft. They got a picture together. You know, Odell is very high on him. I think that he sees a lot of himself in Bateman and vice versa. So I think you're spot on talking about the top of the route separating type of guy. Like we loved the nuance that Bateman had in his route tree and the way he was able to win at different parts of the field through creating separation, plucking the football. Those things were huge. So we hate that you got him, but you're <laughs> spot on. You're spot on about your analysis of the similarities there. All right, let's move on. Uh, we still this is a show about the Browns. I'm sorry about bringing up the Ravens from time to time here. Jarvis Landry, uh, professional receiver now. What what do you want to talk about with him? He's uh, he's been consistent. Let's put it this way. He's been consistently himself uh, in a place that has not had much consistency at the position. Jarvis is not a great athlete by NFL standards at the wide receiver position. He's not going to run away from you, but he's a tough SOB who who leads by example and he's vocal and he gets to the right places all the time. He'll make some sneaky plays when you don't expect him to. He's he's able to make people miss in space and that helps because he's not going to run away from you. Uh, he can do some of those things. He catches the football relatively consistently and he he is a nice contested catch player too. So He's just fine. He's a fine player. They could the, the, the topic of discussion is like, well, could the Browns go get Julio Jones? Well, hell yeah, they should go get Julio Jones if the opportunity presents itself because they need more there as a playmaking point of view. So Jarvis is fine. He's he's making a lot of money, <laughs> a lot of money, mm-hmm. uh, and he's fine. He's, he's never going to be a 1,300, 1,400-yard, 10-touchdown receiver. He's just always going to be kind of that eight to a grand and maybe four to seven touchdowns. Like, that's just who he is. So he's pushing 30 now, too, and he's getting to the point where the Browns are going to have another hard decision on him and Odell, both the LSU brothers there. So, um, you know, we're going to have to figure that out. All right. So I was going to leave this to the end of the wide receivers, the end of the offense, in fact. But but let's let's talk Julio because we can't avoid that discussion. Uh, several teams rumored the Browns are clearly one of them. I, the Ravens are also named in that group, and there's no way the Ravens are getting them. They have the least effective cap in the entire NFL at this point. But uh, how would you see him within the Browns offense if they did get him? Well, Julio can fit in any offense. I mean, he thrived with Shanahan in that similar structure in 6-17 when they went to the Super Bowl. Matt Ryan was your MVP, and you you could find a role for him without a doubt, in my opinion, in this offense. The Browns do have 21-ish and change, but they want to roll over cap, too, because they got a lot of tough calls mm-hmm. coming up with Nick and Wyatt and Denzel and some guys they want to pay. So it would probably involve – I just don't think – like people are like, well, trade Jarvis for, for – for uh, for Julio, it's like, well, why would the Ravens want Jarvis Landry back? What sense does that make when they're trying to cut cap and they would want just picks? Like they just oh, why want would picks. Atlanta want him? Right? Yeah, yeah, my bad. Yes, my bad. Why would Atlanta want that? So, you know, the Browns could do it, but I think they have some things they'd rather do. So I don't know that they're willing to just forego some of those things for a run at Julio. So, you know, you're also giving up a second round pick or or whatever it's going I, to cost to get him. So, I, I, you, you see, that, that's the thing. I think everybody's talking second round pick plus a third round pick the next year and this and that it's not going to cost that much to get Julio Jones he's available for cheaper now because Atlanta has to dump him there's only a few teams that can really get him and and I'm I'm sitting here very fearful of the Browns getting him too cheap 
so they I, could they yeah. they could i we have not heard of we have we have a guy on our staff who's connected to a couple people inside the office and he usually will get breadcrumbs that lead him one way or the other about he haven't heard anything he hasn't really heard anything real or substantial from the brown side about it yet so if they did it i would be probably as surprised as when they traded for odell which was kind of jaw-droppingly surprised so but would i love it i think it would make their offense really good and if they're in a i i say this ken and we'll talk to you i know we got a ton more to talk about but like mm-hmm. the browns may never be better than they are right now they're in a unique window of cap situation that has allowed them to expand and they may never be as good as they are in this moment so they should do whatever it takes to make a real push at this thing so i don't so know if those you look conversations- at it as these two years these next I think years. I think I think so because you haven't paid Mayfield yet, you haven't paid Denzel yet, and and they're kind of like sitting in this window of some of these young guys' contract situations are allowing them to go get the Troy Hills and the slot corner of the world, the John Johnson safeties of the world. It's allowed them to go get Clowney because they have you know Andrew Berry hasn't had enough drafts to truly build what he wants to build, so they've been able to supplant some of the issues from. Uh, previous regimes by going and signing some guys and they've signed some people who on paper make a lot of sense and are really good football players but as you go you got to pay baker 30 million a year you got to pay nick nick 12 million over the course of the next two like it just gets tighter so the theory to me that we've kind of been rolling with is the browns may never be better than right now they could they, everything could work out and they could pick a bunch of really good players and, but they may key point there, all caps, M-A-Y, never be better than this next year or two. So they should be pushing for people if they can go make those pushes. And Julio is like a guy that you would push to try to put yourself into a title conversation. So I think they should be discussing it. Do they actually end up discussing it? I don't know. Okay. All right. Very interesting. Would the expectation be that, that Julio would be restructured as soon as he's traded? Because he's he he basically has got all his guaranteed money off the table. The the Atlanta's got to pay it. He no longer has any obligation to them. I'm just thinking, you know, he does probably doesn't want to play the last two years of his contract for 11 million. So his 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 first thing is going to be give me a new contract. It absolutely is, and I think that's a big reason why you haven't seen someone pull the trigger yet. It's like not not only are you giving up a pick or two, whatever that pick ends up being, you also have to figure out how to make him happy from a financial. At Lowe's, we're your go-to for great gardening values every day. That's why we've lowered our price on select bagged mulch, now starting at just $2.88 a bag. Mulch helps prevent weeds and retains moisture. And when you put it down around trees, shrubs, and flower beds, you'll see how beautiful it makes your outdoor space. Just in time to welcome back family and friends. Shop online and pick up in-store. Lowe's, home to the best part of summer. Selection and product availability vary by location. While supplies last, U.S. only. Excludes Alaska and Hawaii standpoint and a lot of teams like you're mentioning yourself there in Baltimore like they just can't do that right now so it becomes a tough thing I think he will want restructured he's going to want to feel guaranteed in some way shape or form and uh and I, I think that that will throw a little wrench into whoever tries to deal for him and he wants the thing is Julio wants to win let's go to a place that wants to win but most teams right now due to the salary cap of this season are struggling with finding the money to make that happen. Now, the cap will jump again probably next year, but like the right now, hey, I want to win, but most of those teams are capped out. That's why the, the people keep kind of like side-eyeing the Browns because they're one of the few teams that do somehow have some wiggle room in this tight budget season. All right. All right, outstanding stuff there. We didn't talk about Richard Higgins. You want to get a, a comment or two about him before we move on? 
Yeah, just a, a sol- again, a solid player. Not fast, kind of like Jarvis, a 4-6 running speed guy, but gets separation, gets open, and Baker finds him. He's been he's been a 600-yard receiver when he probably has no business doing that just because him and Baker find the same wavelength. So I was happy the Browns kept him as a depth piece uh, for an offense that needs depth pieces at wide receiver. Yeah, by far the, the Browns' best yards per target guy, 11.5 last year. To put that in perspective, no Ravens receiver or tight end has ever been higher than 11.04, and only three seasons total have been put up of, of 10.0 or higher by Browns receivers. So that's really a remarkable total. I know Brashard Perryman had a wonderful year a couple of years ago in terms of yards per target, but that's that's a really remarkable number for Rashard Higgins. He's To me, he's by far the Browns' most productive receiver but it doesn't it has not translated to big yardage totals because it's in a relatively limited opportunity set it absolutely is it, it's it's he he can't beat man coverage all the time but if you task him with finding ways to find windows and zone extremely efficient at it and is a pretty tough catch point guy too and they use him down the field like they push him down the field and let him find his areas to get the football so it's just worked out well in that regard a 71% catch rate is right up there with Jarvis Landry, who's, who's catching a lot of shorter balls uh, than Higgins is. Anyway, let's, let's move on and, and go to the defensive side of the ball. Well, you want to start up, si- uh, up front or on the back end? Up to you. We can start up front, for sure. They, they've, they've adjusted a lot of stuff up there. Um, I, I can just peel through it. You know, Miles is Miles, and he's really good, and, and, and he is um, – you know, I don't need to spend a ton of time. I think you guys know he's pretty good. He's got another level to unlock, I think. I, I think he's got another level he can get to, to to even be better than he currently is. He struggled. He dealt with COVID last year late in the season, which really, really messed with him and his lungs. And if you see him and it's like, okay, that guy who looks like he's from another planet entirely, if COVID can do it to that guy, it's a pretty serious thing. So, like, right. that, that was kind of crazy. So, but, but still a good season for him. So, they Olivier Vernon had, was having a nice year towards Achilles week 12. 13 something like that the Ravens because it was, was in coverage on the that's on right that's right that's right yeah it was it was right after that late in the year it might have been uh it might have been week 16 anyway it, he he was having a nice season to the point that many of us thought he could come back the next year but you know tears his Achilles that insane so they were forced to their hand was forced at their second defensive end so they went out signed Tack McKinley Tax had an up and down career. He's had a nice first two years, slipped a little third year than the fourth year. I think the Atlanta situation, as we're seeing with Julio, with the way Dan Quinn went out, and that was just an absolute disaster of a season for the entire franchise. So he's excited about a fresh start. He will get that here. They signed Jadevian Clowney. People have their opinions on Clowney. He will not beat people around the edge all too often. He's not a great bend rusher, never has been, but he is effective double moves. And if you get him inside on twist stunts or A-gap pressures or put him in a a three-tech and let him hunt or a four-eye, he's dangerous. So they'll be creative with him and let them go a bunch of different ways. Defensive tackle all over the board. They signed Malik Jackson, who has been known for his work with the Broncos and then was most recently with the Eagles. Uh, he's an okay interior defensive lineman. Uh, they bring, they're expecting him to play a lot. We'll see how that shakes out. They, Andrew they, Billings they had, a, had a fine career, a fine end of his tenure anyway at Cincinnati before he got to the Browns. Yeah, he sat out last year. He opted out. They're excited about getting him back. Powerful guy. He's pumped about being back. They're excited about getting him back. Um, so he will have every opportunity up front. They signed Tommy, or they drafted Tommy Togiai uh, out of Ohio State, who's a powerful guy, but is inexperienced, has to be brought along. I should I should mention, too, another guy from the roster last season. They drafted Jordan Elliott, mm-hmm. uh, who um, his name, you guys, Iowa, who did right? you? 
Uh, Jordan Ellis is a Missouri guy. He bounced Texas to Missouri. Um, Epinesa, that's what I'm thinking of. Yeah, 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 yeah. Who did you, who did you guys take last year? It's escaping my mind. A&M guy, right? Oh, yeah. Uh, Matabike. Yeah, that's who the Browns were, were very into, and you guys took them right before Cleveland. And, and then they were forced to trade back, and they took Elliott later. Um, is another Browns draft crush that Baltimore lands. Anyway, but Elliot, Elliot was for, by some people was thought of as a first round talent, and so the Browns ended up getting him in the third round, right? He was Pro Football Focus's highest graded pass rushing defensive tackle, <laughs> and I'm just here to tell you I don't see that at all. <laughs> he is a step, a half step slow off the line. He doesn't play with physical hands. Maybe it works out for him, but I was thoroughly unimpressed by his rookie season. I need to see some, you know, you need to see flashes as a rookie to see like, okay, I can see where this guy's going year two, year three. This is how he consistently wins. I just don't see it. So he's a piece floating out there. I just, I, I need to see it come together for him. But I mentioned, so that's your three kind of big names that are still here. Tommy Togiai, they took in the fourth round of Ohio State. Powerful, like I said, powerful guy. Need to see him get more experience at the position. He only had like 500 snaps total at Ohio State. So he's, mm-hmm. he's relatively raw. They did spend big money on Marvin Wilson, the Florida State kid, the undrafted free agent. They like so him. They talk money, they're, undrafted pool money. <laughs> yes, yes, big big undrafted pool. Like one hundred and seventy thousand dollars, and really a pretty I, I a pretty total was less than that. That's interesting. Okay, I, I think they gave him like seventy thousand bonus. So he, they they were very very into him. And um, I'm not great with the money side. I could be off a little bit, but I know they invested heavily in him. One of the one of the bigger signing bonuses for any UDFA in recent memory. So they they like him. Uh, he was a if you as you know going into 2020 was a guy who was in the first or second round of a lot of mock drafts so had a disappointing season a lot of stuff went into that I've talked to a lot of different people about it a lot of injuries dealt with some lower body issues and that's the question for him can his lower body hold up in the NFL it's it's the weakest part of his game he's physical hands very powerful at the point of attack some snaps of him in 2019 literally controlling Mekhi Becton which as we know is is pretty rare to see Becton being thrown around by people but Wilson can do that but is there any consistency is there health to be achieved there over the long haul that's why he's a UDFA so they did also bring I'm sorry go ahead you know the last guys they 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 Extended an olive branch and signed Malik McDowell, the the former Michigan State second round pick to Seattle, who has gone through the ringer in his personal life. And I'm not here to judge anyone's personal life, but he was arrested a couple times and and found himself out of football. And I think he had a little stint in prison, but has apparently got his life back on track. And they gave him a chance, an opportunity. We will see if that works. He's a name that will float around in there as well. All right. Obviously, extremely weak year in terms of the draft on the defensive line. The Ravens being already old, it was like the worst timing for that. A lot of people had sat out. The Ravens didn't take anybody who sat out with their uh, draft picks. The one guy I really kind of hope they take took at 27 or maybe at 31, either one of them, uh, was the guy from Alabama. Um, oh. Christian Barmore. Yeah, Christian yeah. Barmore, yes. I forget like names like this. I'm getting to that age. Uh, anyway, I, very weak after that. And then they, you know, in the fifth round, and this is one of the reasons I asked you about 21 personnel a little bit, they, they took Ben Mason with their last draft pick, and there were a couple guys on the board, you know, big nose-plugging guys, which is what the Ravens are going to need to replace over the next couple of years. And uh, Kairos Tonga of uh, BYU, yeah. and uh, who was the other one that was – Pretty good late. Uh, Twyman. Jalen Twyman, I yeah. think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Pittsburgh and, kid. And, uh, yeah. neither, you know, for whatever reason, they decided a fullback was more important than getting their, their defensive line a little younger. 
Yeah. Interesting. I, I thought, you know, the loss of o- Ogunjobi, to me, uh, Ogunjobi has killed the Ravens over the years. I mean, just... He it, somehow has. He is not... I we Listen, Larry is a grade A human being. Take his time. He's been on my podcast. He's spent tons of time with charities. He has had these burst games against Baltimore. It's week one against Baltimore was the oh, best yeah, by far best game of the, of the season. Field. It was yeah. bizarre. And he's done that a couple times against Baltimore through his career. But he's good for like two games where you're like... <laughs> If he can channel 75% of that, he can be a top 20 interior D lineman in the league, but he's just so inconsistent, and he, he just forgets if his first move is taken away and he can't dislodge, he can't break away from people, the hands are a little weak at times, and like I all the best he ends up signing in Cincinnati, but it was just never going to be a, a Brown situation because they just needed more and there was nothing more he could provide for them. So he's just kind of a depth player down in Cincinnati. Who knows? Maybe he breaks out down there and reaches his full potential. I think there's there's a real player in there, but the Browns just for whatever reason couldn't pull that out of him. I wonder if it was just the the Ravens having a weak interior line that that they were schematically able to use him differently, but uh, obviously frustrating. Javon Hargrave was the same problem. So once you start having nose tackle after nose tackle in the division, kind of beat you. Javon Hargrave, legitimately excellent player, but uh, you know you, you you wonder is it your guys or is it their guys? <laughs> yeah. and so that's a good point. Uh, all right, let's move on. We'll talk about the linebacking core. Obviously, with the with the big addition, the inside linebacking position of Jeremiah Usakuramoa. Yeah, so they they were stunned. Listen, I still if the heart is the reason he fell, okay. But like. Mm-hmm. The guy's a player, man. He he flies around. He can play the overhang. He can play in the box a little bit, too. He's not going to thrive in the box in the NFL because he's not real big, uh, as big as those players should be. But he, he can do such a variety of things that they're just so excited about him. They're raving about him at rookie minicamp because he's just picking things up fast and he moves well. You know, a lot of guys talk about it takes a couple practices and you can tell, you know, that, that the guys say that you can tell right away, whether a guy is like the player you think he is or not. And, uh, they like him. So there, there, there's a lot of belief that he can be a player for them. They, they brought in Anthony Walker from, from the Colts as a mic for them. They let go BJ Goodson who had a pretty nice year. BJ did in one year of, of finally getting a chance to be a three down Mike inside linebacker. They, they let BJ go. They bring in Anthony Walker who the Colts loved him, you know, who's a two down player for them. Darius Leonard made a tribute video to him when he left. And I think he'll be a nice veteran leadership player, but he's not a three down player. They really like Jacob Phillips who they took out of LSU in right. uh, the 2019 draft, you know, Patrick Queens uh, go, I like know, him side by side. Yeah. They like him a lot. And he flashed like he had a knee issue. Actually uh, after week one, he had a knee, he had a knee injury after the Baltimore game that cost him four or five games, played a few. And they had a nice game against the Colts week five and then had another lingering knee issue and then came back later in the season. In week 17, he had like nine stop tackles starting at Mike for Goodson, who was out with COVID. And if you know stop tackles on PFF are those plays sure. that are no gain or negative losses. loss. Yes, yeah. yeah. He was all over the football field, like flying around. I'm like, if this is the version of this kid they're going to get as a will backer, I think he can be really good. So they like him. They like JOK. They like Anthony Walker as sort of a veteran leadership presence, early down player for them. They also have Sione Takitaki out of BYU. They took in the 18 draft, was a mid-round linebacker. 
think their fourth, third round pick that year. I get those two mixed up. Uh, they took him in the third. He's, he was an edge, converted to, to, to inside linebacker player in that hybrid defense they run at BYU. He's a Sam for them. He'll, he'll be a 20-snap three if they have to play base personnel packages. He's a nice thumping run get, run run play linebacker, but he's he took some strides in coverage, but for the most part is just a grass eater. He, he just doesn't feel it like you need to feel it. So he is that extra body, good special teams player, high effort, high motor guy. Okay, this is one of my real interests in football is the dime defense and how mm-hmm. important and valuable it can be to, to managing your salary cap. Now, looking at the Browns, obviously, they got mostly younger players at the position. Nobody's making a ton of money, obviously, at that inside linebacker spot yet. But in taking a player like Awusa Koromo, they're almost uh, – committing to him as a three down player for the future he won't be a two down player and he won't you know if you're you're gonna if you're gonna draft a linebacker who covers you're kind of committing him to being a three down player and i've been of the opinion that you're much better off getting cheaper coverage on the coverage downs from your third best safety and a better you know thumping run stuffer phillips really feats the mold he was a guy i wanted for exactly that for the ravens in a later round at the end of the browns got him in the third round that was too rich for me but if the ravens could have had him in the fourth or fifth round i would have loved it for them mm-hmm. uh, but you know i, I think you want to com- i i like committing to that two down player and playing dime defense as much as possible the ravens got away from that last year it really hurt them to have Chris Board on the field playing a lot. The Browns, I want to come back to them. Are, are they really a team that believes in the dime and goes to it? Or are they really a two down committed linebacker group? Well, they were a mess last year, so they didn't. And Joe Woods, their defensive coordinators, talked about how they just had pieces, and they ended up struggling at safety. They they traded for, and we'll talk about the safeties in a second, but they traded for Ronnie Harrison right before the season. Mm-hmm. Ronnie wasn't really acclimated to what Cleveland wanted him to do in the defense and the structure and all of it till week five. Grant Delpit gets hurt, tears that Achilles in training camp. They end up starting Anderson Dejo and Carl Joseph and it's like they were just a mess and Carl Joseph can hit you a little bit here and there but just not going to be a consistently good safety in the NFL too aggressive zealous player uh, gets himself in trouble back in kind of it was terrible it was terrible it was terrible it's not Anderson Dale's fault it was Cleveland as much the injury stuff happened, and it's like it was Cleveland's fault in general. You know, people rip on Sandejo and they rip on him, and it's like, okay, can you look at the broad perspective here, where it's like that guy's clearly playing out of position. Mm-hmm. They have a young man named Sheldrick Redwine who they took out of Miami in the fourth round of 2018. But he, they didn't even trust him to be on the field. That's how you can tell wow. that, Alper. That that thing is gone. They wanted Sandejo out there because they actually believed he could align people. So to the crux of your dime defense question, they want to get there. And we'll go into safety now as we talk about that. They signed John Johnson, a phenomenal safety, a hybrid guy who can do it all. He can play split. He can play post. He can play walk him down to the box. Hell, they did that with the Rams. They, they, Brandon Staley, now the Chargers coach, is talking about how he was their green dot guy like because he's on the field all the time. They had a weak linebacker position they'd run him down and let him play will like they let him do it all so the browns are very excited about having him on their on in their building and the person he is and the communicator and the leader they love it so they're really excited about john so would it, would it be fair to assume that that johnson could i, I don't know if johnson is wearing the green dot for for cleveland this year or if it's if it's somebody else but would it be fair to say that delpit is going to be the the committed free safety this year, and Johnson will be the guy who is the split safety in a dime, maybe comes up to play some strong safety as the second safety on most downs, and then also uh, is on the field on dime to play the back end while somebody else plays, maybe Joseph plays in the box. 
in theory, you're you're spot on. It depends on how Grant Delpit comes back. How he feels from that Achilles injury is going to be what's what dictates that stuff. Mm-hmm. Because John can do the free safety stuff. If you remember, John Johnson was a four low four six. He's not a great great athlete. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can get him in trouble if you put him on islands against really elite running wide receivers. So I don't love him playing post safety a ton. Uh, but but they can do that every now and again with him. He's better in split looks. But yeah, they'll rule him down. Like he gave George Kittle trouble. He was a problem for George Kittle in coverage. Like he can cover bigger fellas. Like that's his thing. Mm-hmm. They'll do that with him. If if Grant is right, they will want Grant being your center fielder as often as you can because he's so rangy and instinctual. Uh, you watched him when you study Patrick, I'm sure, and that's and that LSU defense. That's what he does best. He runs. He can cover the slot too occasionally. They have nice flexibility now with Grant, uh, with with John, and then with Ronnie Harrison too because Ronnie Ronnie made some strides too. So they have a nice flexible three safety group there. Yeah, that, that's helpful. I, 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 I like I won't get into this. I, I don't like over versatile safeties. I like to have yeah. some defined roles. And in particular, you can you can convince yourself all three of your guys are in, um, interchangeable. But if you really don't have the free safety, if you don't have that ball hawk, you don't have what you need at safety because the other yeah. positions are easy to fill. Strong safety in the dime. You should be able to get those with a by numbers of safety. Yeah, I love Delpit coming out of the uh, of last year's draft. Uh, he and McKinney were the two guys at safety I liked for the Ravens with their first round pick. Mm-hmm. They they came up with Queen McKinney was the guy I really had hoped they would they would get. He went of course to the Giants and then Delpit either right before or right after uh, went to the Browns of course. Yeah, the, the 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 key comparison there was ironic because the Bucks had taken Wirfs right after the Browns took Wills, and then they took Winfield right after the Browns took Delpit. So yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I think I think Grant has the ability to do that stuff. I would like for them to define him as a deep player in coverage because I don't I don't love Grant tackling a ton of, at the line of scrimmage. I just don't think it's his best forte. But I think he can cover in space really well. He's got oily hips. He can turn and run. He can change direction. He can backpedal. He's a fluid athlete. Uh, ironically, what he tore his Achilles doing was just a backpedal jump up, pick the ball on an angle drill. It was so weird. It was on like the background of Browns had a coverage of training camp because no one could be there and you could just see him like just land and it snapped. So it was so weird. Ooh. But if but if he comes back, you're right. I think you are it's a, it's a theory that I haven't heard a ton of people talk about, but I do think you're right. You do need some defined roles. I think Ronnie Harrison was a fourth-round pick, I think a fourth-round guy, out of Alabama, goes to Jacksonville. He's a comfortable line-of-scrimmage type player. I think John Johnson has proven he can do a little bit of everything, and that's why he's viewed as a premier player at the position. I don't love him in single high, but if he's a split field guy, a roll him down, let him play hook zone, let him run rove, they kind of let him spy the middle of the field, play that play that middle coverage area, and, and, and he can do those things very well. Uh, but they, they took uh, Richie LeCount in the fifth round, who's more of a center field type kid out of Georgia, uh, and then um, obviously he's going to fight with Sheldrick Redwine for that for that depth spot. But they, right. they do, like, I, I back to what uh, back to what he said, Joe Woods said, they, they only played like 25 snaps of dime last year. He wow. wants, they couldn't do it. They didn't, they couldn't do it. They flat out couldn't do it. They didn't have the personnel. So they were a met. That's why teams kept coming back. The Browns would jump out on people who were going in more neutral offensive structures and getting, so the Browns would do a nice job. And they had some turnover luck last year, but they would get teams down because their offense would strike early and then they'd have to rely on coverage. And like the Titans came back, the Eagles came back. Uh, they, they were up on Dallas huge and Dallas came back like they just they were gashed because the personnel didn't fit. So Joe is really excited about getting JOK and getting John and Ronnie and Grant, everybody healthy so they can do dime. And he's a true nickel guy by nature. So that's what they want to do. 
Okay, so let me put that in perspective because two, that's like two and a half percent, maybe slightly less than that since they probably played about 1,100 snaps of defense during the regular season if they played 25 snaps of dime. The Ravens in 2019, and if, admittedly they were protecting some big leads for a lot of the year, uh, played 42% dime. It's wild. They dropped to 15% dime, 15 and change in 2020 because they just didn't have, like the Browns, three safeties they trusted being on the field. They, they tried it with Gilchrist early in the year, an old guy who's been bounced around the league, is 29, still in the practice squad. Uh, and then they really never were able to find another guy. They didn't trust Geno Stone to do it. So instead, they put Board in there as a linebacker. It really hurt the team. But it, it sounds like both defensive units will probably benefit from getting back to playing more dime in, in 2021, I would think. It's just the best defense for the NFL right now, yeah. just where it's going. And if you have, but you're, you're right about both teams that I'm just speaking. I didn't, I don't study Baltimore nearly the way you do, but like they just didn't have the personnel. I'm sure Baltimore didn't feel comfortable with it either. And you, you want to feel comfortable with the guys you're putting on the field. Would you rather want to put uh, Shelter Gredwine on the field as your third safety or role and just continue to keep your mic on the field and BJ Goodson. They just kept the linebacker on the field because they didn't trust some of those depth guys. I think they do finally trust those guys. So who had the um, dot? It wasn't good. Didn't Goodson? It, it was dot. Goodson. He yeah, was. So the they dot couldn't guy. take him off. So who was the who was the will that they could take off? Uh, they they played and, and this is another guy. There was two linebackers I actually didn't mention. Uh, um, Malcolm Smith, mm-hmm. uh, the former Super Bowl MVP, who bounced around after his time in Seattle and um, landed with Cleveland. Ironically, the other guy, Mac Wilson, who was a fifth round mm-hmm. kid out of Alabama. They took in 2018, had every opportunity. He's just not athletic enough, and his instincts that worked at the SEC level are not. They're step behind in the NFL, so it causes him fits. He got hurt last year and had a hyperextended knee in camp they brought in Malcolm Smith uh, they played Malcolm Smith at the, he actually had a really good year Malcolm did he almost saved their linebacker situation because he played so well in coverage they brought him back for another year but they go out and draft two linebackers so we're going to see if he makes the roster but uh, yeah they didn't take Malcolm off the field they kept that other linebacker on the field instead of instead of bringing in another DB and their slot their slot nickel situation was a disaster last year too which we haven't even talked well, about let's move on to that in the cornerback situation you can start at the slot if you like yeah they had Kevin Johnson who was just anemic to tackle he, I, I think Kevin is, it was a first round pick to the Texans in like 2016 or 2017. And they ended up moving him inside in Buffalo last year. He signs in Cleveland for one year. Now he did have like a, 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 a kidney laceration in camp that caused him to miss some time. It was a serious, serious injury, but he's okay. But he just, he doesn't tackle. He doesn't, he doesn't stay in phase well and nickel. And it was just a disaster. They were playing a young man named Tavier Thomas there a ton, who was just like, he's not he's a replacement level bottom of the NFL guy and like they were playing him a ton because they had to they had nobody else they brought in MJ Stewart who was a second round North Carolina guy went to Tampa Tampa flushed him out because he was struggling he's not athletic enough he's not agile enough they were playing MJ Stewart a lot last year too because they didn't have anybody else the nickel was a disaster so they signed Troy Hill obviously he had he had the, one of the better pro football focused slot grades in the entire NFL last year he's a Youngstown Ohio guy so he fits with what Cleveland has done and always done and uh, in terms of, uh, I should say, Northeast Ohio type, type of person. So he comes in. They're excited about him. Uh, they think he's an immediate upgrade. And then um, on the outside, Denzel is, is, is you know, who we, who we think he can be. He just has to stay on the football field. He's a fantastic cover corner uh, that, that obviously is, is really good metrics when he's on the field. He's just missed stretches of games in his career. So that part has been a little bit tough. When he 
you expecting um, that extension to come? I, I, you know, I don't, I don't totally know what they're going to do with it. I think he's good. I think he's really good. It's just he, his first year he dealt with concussion issues. His second year he had a groin, and then this last year he had a. Uh, something else he's just missed chunks of each season so they probably want to see one more season i guess if he starts out really hot there could be some sort of thing that they want to talk about with him but i don't know i don't if he has another year full of injury it could get really dicey i i just think they're going to keep him he you need corners like denzel i I would be pretty stunned if he ended up walking out of cleveland so um my guess is that at the end of next year before the fifth year for him so Okay. Uh, so we'll they, see. They've but, committed to the fifth-year option already, obviously. I think yeah. you mentioned that earlier. Yeah. But this is a case where it probably does make all the sense to see what you have if you, if you can to, if you can do that. Yeah, if you can be as patient as possible there to see another season. But when he plays, he's good. He's he's a fantastic press mirror guy. He can play off. He's getting more comfortable. And all. He didn't do – if you know much about Ohio State defensive backs, I'm sure you do. They're a lot of press man with mirror, mirror technique stuff. They don't play a ton of zone. So – He's gotten better at it, more comfortable at playing off man and kind of figuring out route concepts and feeling those things out. But he's good. He's very good. They they had Greedy Williams, who they drafted in the second round of the 19 draft because they didn't have a first rounder because of the Odell trade. Uh, had an, a solid, decent rookie season. Now he's had this nerve injury. Come back up, was in camp. It was ironic. It was the same day Grant Delpit left with the Achilles. Greedy Williams is reported like, okay, Greedy's got a shoulder. He's missing the rest of practice. It turns into he's out the entire season. He's got a degenerative nerve issue in his shoulder that is is uh, had a flare up at LSU and it returned last year. He claims to be back on track this year. He did an interview with local Cleveland and, and they said he's he said he's ready to come back. But until you put the pads on, until you hit that shoulder again, nobody really knows. So the Browns went into the draft thinking they had one corner and that's where they signed or sorry, they drafted the 26th pick there. Greg Newsom out of Northwestern, who they like. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's, he's a very scheme diverse corner. Uh, can do a, he, he played a heavy Northwestern zone scheme. It's very NFL like what Northwestern does with their DBs. And, uh, but he can also walk down and get in your face and plays agile. He's got the right level of cockiness, you know, that the corner should have. And did I, we you like love it. that pick? I did. I did. I, I mean, the injury stuff with him is a little scary, too. I mean, he missed – I think he only played 17 games over the last three years. But those 17 games I liked a lot. I think I think he has a lot of what they look for in corners as far as really good athleticism, uh, as far as the tape showing guy who can make plays on the football when it arrives. I uh, didn't have a ton of ball turnover production, but I thought he was always around the football when it mattered there. And sometimes – you know, interceptions can be capricious just based on when your head is around at the perfect time and the ball landing right where you thought it would. So I liked it. I thought there were four corners that were worth uh, the ra- round pick 26, and they got the four. We didn't expect – I did not expect him to get past the Tennessee sh- – well, Chicago moved up at pick 20. Chicago's cornerback room is a disaster. Tennessee's is even worse, and they didn't take – well, they took Farley, I think, right? I think. I could be wrong on that, but um, – yeah, we just didn't think Grant would get there. Then Grant, it was it was like we talked about it earlier. Grant was there, and and JOK was there, a guy that we thought they'd be connected to, and Rashad was there. So yeah, we we like we like him. There's definitely a route where Greg Newsom fails in the NFL. It just boils down to can he stay on the field? If he stays on the field, he's fine. I think he can have a nice NFL career. The good part for him is a lot of these guys, J.C. Horn, Patrick Sertan Jr., Caleb Farley, are going to come in and expect it to be the guy right away. Greg doesn't have that burden when he arrives in Cleveland. 
Cleveland. He can be a guy who covers a number two, a better matchup for him. That helps. So, um, yeah, I, th- I think he's young. He's he's excitable. He's a, he's a very, very smart kid out of Northwestern. They they like him. I like him. And, and, and like I said, it's not, it's not a stone-cold home run. He's going to be a good NFL player pick. There are routes at which he could fail. But, but as far as what I saw on tape, I see a guy who can play in Cleveland and what they do, and I think he has a nice chance to be a nice player. It certainly fits in with uh, with a lot of the Browns' depth needs here. The, the, the division in particular, but also in, in terms of looking forward to games with Kansas City, um, there's a lot of need to be able to – Defense bunch formations and ten personnel. See a lot of a lot of a lot of four wide receiver formations, particularly out of Pittsburgh this last year. They just mm-hmm. threw it at the Ravens play after play, and the Ravens didn't have a good answer at that second slot corner, despite enormous depth. What did the Browns do in those situations? Well, last year's <laughs> did they throw they, it a they, fourth corner in a dime? No, they didn't. They they didn't have the ability to do it, and they were a wreck because of it. And Pittsburgh picked them apart in Pittsburgh because of it. Um, and they all t- in the wild card game they did too, but they fell behind. You know, snap over the head, mm-hmm. Ben throws a high throw, and it's twenty eight nothing. And then it's like, okay, it's kind of out of reach. But they struggled. Their pass defense was absolutely atrocious, and they did not have let, let alone a fourth corner. They didn't have a third corner to put on the field they had to play they they played uh terrence mitchell as their second corner they they ended up they ended up going to the point that they had to play terrence to the field they couldn't play him right and left corners like they wanted to they had to put terrence to the field every snap so that they could how he could have a little bit more uh reaction time because he just couldn't handle being a boundary corner whenever that opportunity showed up so they were they were a mess at corner we feel better about it yeah i think this is one of these things where ravens fans would certainly say were, a lot of them would say we're really concerned about Clowney being opposite Garrett, but it, it sounds to me like the three biggest additions for the Browns this year are all in the secondary. It's Delpit coming back from the injury, it's mm-hmm. it's Newsom and it's Hill, and you know those three guys should really improve the Browns secondary this year. There's no doubt. I I, I said it before the draft and before free agency that. The Browns' defensive line before clowning, before Malik Jackson, the status quo of it was good enough to, to be respectable because you have some guys at key positions. But their secondary was such a disaster that I was like, you have got to commit everything you have to figuring out corner and safety, which they did. I think they did enough things to have figured that out because I think they drafted a, a nice player there and, and hopefully and, and, and Richie LeCount to help back there too. But like, I, I feel pretty good about what they've done. They, the secondary to me was the biggest glaring need on the entire roster flat out. And the, the thing that's weird is, and I, I was just talking on my podcast with somebody about this. I don't know if the Browns went into 2020, excuse me, thinking they had to completely fix their offense and then delay fixing their defense until the next year but that's just how it worked out they addressed Cooper and Conklin and all of these guys going into 2020 and Jed Wills and all of those guys and then in 2021 they they addressed the defense they didn't make a single offensive addition until a guy who I I remiss I didn't mention him they picked Anthony Schwartz in the third round the kid out of Auburn that's the first offensive addition they had the entire offseason so um yeah, it's just been a, a we got to overhaul our defense to the best the cap will allow us to and the draft picks will allow us to. And as we sit here in late May, on paper, you got to be an on paper team before you're an on field team. People talk about that. Well, they're only on paper. Well, to be a team that is really successful, you got to start on paper with a bunch of guys who are respected. And I think they've gotten to that point on that side. 
All right. We are recording this the night of May 25th. There won't be a long delay on this one. We'll have this out fairly quickly. But I do like to say that. That's thank you for reminding me. Absolutely great stuff, Jake. Tremendous depth. Exactly what we hope to get on this show when we're getting previews and when we're doing the Know Your Foe episodes during the season. We hope we'll have you back for at least one of those uh, this year. And uh, always a pleasure to talk football with you, my friend. Legitimately great guy. Where can you find find your work on on Twitter for starters, and then on the on terms of the site? Yeah, yeah, I'm on um, I'm on Twitter at Jake underscore Burns eighteen. Uh, pretty much all Brown stuff, other than posting a picture of my son here and there. Um, uh, and then uh, on 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 as far as finding my content, our site is the Orange and Brown Report. So we are a uh, a site through two four seven. Yeah, we can you can find us there. And I have my own podcast, the OBR uh, Film Breakdown, is where I do Brown's podcast stuff. All right. Terrific stuff, Jake. Uh, if you're out there and you're looking to, to be on a film study short this offseason, please don't be hesitant. This is that season. Jake and I are both pretty dead. The draft is gone and you have a lot of stuff, uh, a lot of time until camp and you're looking for content. I'm looking to talk to about football with anyone who's passionate about topics about the Baltimore Ravens. Please uh, don't be shy about contacting me. Jake, thanks once again for coming on. My pleasure, Ken. And we'll talk to you next time on Film Study. Introducing the Lowe's List for Innovation. While our aisles are filled with innovative products, we've selected our favorites just for you. Like the exclusive Whirlpool washer with industry-first two-in-one removable agitator. We love this washer because you can customize any load. And with other smart features to streamline your laundry routine, this product is a must-have for families. Shop the full Lowe's list of top picks at Lowe's.com. Lowe's, home to any budget, home to any possibility. U.S. only. Some cars are comfy on the inside but don't have power on the outside. And some cars have the horsepower but none of the comfort. I used to think there weren't any cars that were the total package. But that all changed when I got my Honda SUV. It's rugged and sophisticated. And right now, Honda has deals on the entire Honda SUV lineup. CRV, HRV, Pilot, Passport, you name it. So if you're looking for a car that's the total package, the only place you'll find it is at your local Honda dealer. Hurry before they're all gone. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.